Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Vesey. Well, this is the third Sunday uh, that I've been doing in a series uh, called The Coming of the Cosmic Christ. Um, it's a book uh, that uh, was written by Matthew Fox. This isn't from the book, but he, that title did come from that. If you miss any of the previous ones, you can catch them up on the uh, red little card at the back of the table. It just shows you how to get the podcasts and uh, how to download them. Um, in the first week, we looked at the fact that uh, Christ was not simply Jesus' last name, um, but Christ actually meant the anointed one. And that he represented, I'm giving you a bit of a rundown here, what we've done before. He represented a manifestation of that cosmic Christ. And the idea of the Christ, the Christ is the, the ordering principle that's been with us since time began. You know, those people who wrote the Bible were not aware of the science of the Big Bang and everything that went with it. So they told their own story of the creation of the world. And that became the traditional story of the Christian religion, just as every other religion has its own creation story. Ours tells of the spirit hovering over the water, the creation of man and woman, the appearance of wisdom or the feminine Sophia to guide us, the appearance of divinity to Moses, to Elijah, and finally, the birth of Jesus. And in telling the story of the cosmic Christ, we look at that story and we see what it's got to teach us in modern day life. That, that's the purpose of this course. What does it have to teach us about living our modern day lives? And in this story, as I said, the Christ is the organizing principle within everything manifest in Jesus and in our life today. I mentioned in the first two weeks that quote from Meister Eckhart, the 14th century philosopher, who famously said, what good is it to me that Mary gave birth to the Son of God 1,400 years ago and I do not give birth to the Son of God in my time and in my culture? And last week we looked at how to birth the Son of God or the Christ wisdom in our own lives. Opening ourselves to ask James Finley's question. It's a lovely question. James Finley, who's coming here in March, um, Thomas Merton's pupil, and he asked the question, he said, this is the key question. Given all the circumstances, what is the most loving response I can make here? Given all the circumstances, what is the most loving response I can make here? So, we've said that the word Christ denotes the ordinary principle in our traditional Christian nomenclature. And it's interesting that, that when we talk about the cosmic Christ, it's almost tautological. Because the word cosmic comes from the word cosmos, the Greek word cosmos, which means to order. So the cosmic Christ is the ordering principle of order. And in talking of the cosmic Christ, we're looking at that ordering nature of the universe through the prism of the Christian tradition. That's what we're doing. So I think 
that if we're going to use a modern analogy for this, it might be that this Christ, this ordering principle, is the spiritual DNA at the center of all things. The spiritual DNA at the center of all things. DNA, or desoxyribonucleic acid, is the basic... You like that? (laughs) Desoxyribonucleic acid is the basic hereditary material present in all the cells of an organism, and it basically provides the blueprint for the cell's functions, growth, reproduction, and death. The structure of the DNA is the double-stranding helix structure, made famous what we call the double helix. That's the structure of it. And just as the DNA provides, I think, the blueprint for all cells, so the Christ, this, this ordering principle, I think, can be seen as the spiritual DNA that provides the blueprint for all creation, including evolution and the evolution of consciousness. There's something driving evolution and the evolution of consciousness. The creative force at the center of all creation. The creative force that brought life into being. It's called many things in many religions. It's called the Tao in Taoism, Prana in Buddhism and Hinduism, Yahweh in Judaism, Allah in Islam. In Christianity, we refer to that essence as the Christ nature. And I think DNA is a perfect analogy for it. And that double helix structure also helps in looking at how it works. The DNA strands, and you've all seen pictures, I'm sure, the DNA, look like a phone cable or a rope. And the two strands in the DNA have to cooperate with each other. You see the little things going across. They have to cooperate with each other in order to function. Now, a Native American chief, Chief Seattle, made a famous speech in 18... Who's heard of Chief Seattle? Good. Made a, a famous speech in 1854, and he said, all things are connected like the blood that unites us all. We did not weave the web of life. We are merely a strand in it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. We're a strand in the web like the DNA, whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. And so evolution, evolution is a function of cooperation. Evolution, you cannot have evolution in a closed environment because there's nothing to relate to. It is a function of cooperation because evolution requires relationship in order for the osmotic nature of one part of creation to encourage another part of creation. It needs relationship. The light that drove the sea creatures out of the water and onto the land. Plants and animals developed specific characteristics to help them in their living. Colour, shape, senses, all developed in relationship to their surroundings. So evolution is about relationship. And it's the same when we look at evolution that's taking place in the consciousness of humanity. It's the same when we look at the evolution that's taken place 
in the consciousness of humanity. And, and, you know, the humanity of consciousness has evolved. To begin with, humanity was a grunting, fighting, eating, sexing predator. That's the, the start of it. You, anyone sees Quest for Fire, you know, that, the basic beginning of it. And then there was cooperation. Like those two strands of the double helix, humanity spoke to itself and began to work together to form villages and societies. Laws came about and people discovered that they could live in peace. Family life developed and people began to learn and be educated. But there were always idiots that came along and disrupted the peace by suggesting that one tribe should violently take over another. But these wars came and went. In the meantime, education grew up and arts and culture and religion developed. In that first, we've talked about the first actual age, that change in spirituality from the primal spirituality to a self-reflecting spirituality, new teachers came along like Buddha, Lao Tzu, Muhammad, Jesus, they brought the whole shift in teaching that enabled us to say that we were self-reflecting. We could touch something. This is the change that happened. Rather than all, all the divine being out there, we could touch something of the divine in ourselves and bring that into our world by way of cooperating with each other. And I think so civilization further developed in arts and culture. And you can see... You know, as you go through the centuries, the amazing flourishing of, of art and everything like that. But there were always more idiots that would come along and through their own brute force disrupt the progress. In the last, two, in the last century, two world wars created such disruption. But cooperation won out in the end. That, that great quote from Gandhi. Remember that all through history there have been tyrants and murderers. And for a time they seem invincible. But in the end they always fall. Always. And that cooperation has grown up to our present day where we now have really an advanced global consciousness. Where there is an understanding of what Lincoln called a new freedom, a new freedom of government of the people, by the people, and for the people. This, this is new. This has grown up in the last 200 years. And it's an amazing place that we've come to in the evolution of consciousness. And we are here always talking about that amazing place. But there are still idiots about. People who think that we ought to go back to the Middle Ages where princes and kings with their sycophants and cabals thought they knew better than anybody else. Progress is not made by small groups of rich people who impose their views on others. Progress happens through cooperation, and that cooperation is inherent in the spiritual DNA that is at the core of all life. Not idiots who use force and coercion, who shut down debate, 
and cooperation, who invade other countries. That, that's not progress. That's a throwback to the past. We have developed an amazing civilization on this planet through cooperation, not through force. The double helix does not work through force. It works through cooperation. And that's how the development of that spiritual DNA, that Christ nature, works within us. That famous definition of spirituality from Rowan Williams, the old Archbishop of Canterbury, he said, spirituality is the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. The cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. It is this that will allow life to develop and mature. It is this that will allow consciousness to evolve in a more loving way. And the next step of the evolution of consciousness, the next step, I'm going to tell you, the next step in evolution, in our Christ nature that we have to make, the next step we have to do is to stop killing each other. We have to stop killing each other. Look at humanity. All over the world, we're killing each other through wars, through poverty, through climate change, through the unwillingness to deal with it. Love your enemies, Jesus says. And this is what he meant. We have to stop killing each other. We have to stop oppressing each other. We have to stop putting our selfish interests first. We have to stop this madness. We have to stop and be, as T.S. Eliot coined it, the still small point in the turning world. Because we're killing each other, and that means there's a part of the DNA that is squeezing everything else out of shape. We, humanity, are part of the biosphere, the living part of our planet. Most of that biosphere, if you look out, works perfectly. But right through the middle of that double helix is the DNA of life. Humanity, right in the middle, is at war with itself. And we have to stop it. We have to stop killing each other. Everyone has problems. People, communities, races, countries. And you know, there is only one thing to say to these problems. There is one response that we can all make that will solve these problems. It's not solved by force or peace through strength. It'll be solved by one simple question posed in the face of each problem. And that question is, how can we help? How can we help? That should be the motto of every person, community, culture, and nation. How can we help? That's how we get the double helix of life to move on. How can we help? Even to our enemies. You have a problem? How can we help? That's one part of the double helix speaking to another part of the double helix. How can we help? And that is the motto of the cosmic crisis as it comes into the world. That is how it orders life. How can we help? That should be our new motto here at the chapel. 
How can we help? That is how evolution progresses. Evolution has got so far by cooperating with each other. And we have to confront those idiots who continue to kill and say, no, this is now who we are. This civilization is now who we are. This is how humanity should treat itself. This is how humanity is right now. You are a throwback to the Middle Ages. Stop it. How can we help? You know, I watch a lot of television and films, and so many films portray a dystopian future. I mean, you know, everything from Blade Runner, you know, all the way through, it's all a dystopian future, you know. Some ghastliness is happening and, and how we all stamp down on it and how we deal with all the violence and stuff like that. But one doesn't. And that one thing that doesn't portray a dystopian future is Star Trek. Now, always a source of chief enlightenment, Star Trek portrays a future where the Earth is united, not just with herself, but with all parts of the Federation. It's united with other planets, including the planet Vulcan. By implication, the Earth has united as one, and rather than warring nations, we've come together to look outward as a sort of, you know, world NATO type thing. It's probably politically wrong, but... The Federation is depicted as a democratic republic led by a president, based in Paris, by the way. And the presidential powers include issuing pardons and declaring states of emergency. And he's supported by a cabinet, a Supreme Court, and a legislature, and all that sort of business. I find this strangely comforting, as it shows that this kind of system has been imagined, at least by a popular culture. It is the logical manifestation of the realization that we all come from the same source, the same consciousness, the same ground of being, the same essence, that we are interdependent with each other. And it is in our individual, national and global interests to look after each other and to look after the planet, that we can work together like that double helix. It seems obvious to me, and yet I realize that those problems, that the establishment of such an idea is way, way away. But we haven't got a huge amount of time to actually make it happen. At present rates of change, you know, it's far too far in the future. But what we do here at this time has to speed that up. And I think that this is the way the spiritual DNA is taking us, if we could but let it. And our role in all of this is to be part of the spiritual DNA that lessens the tension and creates cooperation. To ask, how can I help? To call out this behavior that doesn't represent the essence of all life. That DNA requires us to cooperate as the cells cooperate within the DNA of our body. Imagine what would happen if we did cooperate in this way. How we would begin to solve the world's problems together. We don't know the amazing effects that such cooperation would have on the evolution of mankind and the evolution of consciousness. How we might progress spiritually and in humanity. 
Jesus came essentially to show us the potential that humanity has if it would see the love that's the center of all things. And we are only really now just beginning to realize that potential. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.